Good evening, you're watching MNB World. Welcome to our de facto review, our weekly roundup of news and current affairs with our political commentator, Jalgal de facto. Good evening. And I'm your host, Nam Sredsin. We are live on Facebook and you can join in on our conversation on Twitter with hashtag Jalgal underscore de facto. Today on our program, President Batozok Hatma paid his first visit to the People's Republic of China. Will we have to verify our identity with registration numbers to sign into Facebook? What happened during National Disaster Preparedness Training? All that and more on our today's program. Our first topic, President of Mongolia, Batoza Khatma, is paying his first official state visit to the People's Republic of China. The visit coincides with the 17th anniversary of Mongolia establishing diplomatic relations with the People's Republic of China. The two sides exchanged views on strengthening cooperation in agriculture as well as on developing the Asia supergrid. While in Beijing, the president also attended the Second Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. Let's get into our questions. What can we expect from the president's first official visit to the People's Republic of China? Well, this is a state visit, in particular for Mr. President Batulga is uh, coming that state visit to China. Mm -hmm. As you said, 70th anniversary of diplomatic relations of two countries. And we have a full strategic partnership agreement at the level of our foreign relations at this level. Mongolia has no any border issue, territorial issue with China, also with Russia. And it's very well, very lucky because we have a too large neighbor and we have not the sort of problems. So this visit will be important landmark for further development with China. China is our majority of our, China is completely, almost we depending on China uh, with our economy. So <clears throat> from that visit, not only we are waiting for uh, several projects to be implemented, financed also by China, and <clears throat> they have promised two billion dollar, two billion yuan, money to Mongolia, mm -hmm. and there was many of about thirty or so documents were signed, but my take is. Many of those signed documents are memorandums of understandings, which we have seen many signed during our president or prime minister visits to other countries by our business people and by some also state companies. And, um, but uh, unfortunately, not all these memorandums are usually later on implemented or executed. Mm -hmm. So I'm just asking a question from our officials that if we don't uh, implement, then why we are sending so many documents? And it is coming also mostly because our government keeps changing. And every one and a half a year, on the average, our power is changing. So is the contract, the memorandum of understandings um, too. Uh, because we have signed almost, I think, 10 or so memorandum of understanding on, for example, 
building up power stations at the sites of coal mines. None of them has done so far. So that's the one concern. And of course, many contracts signed. The other thing is, somehow Mongolia is was or is signing Irtinis Steel had signed a contract with Chinese counterpart uh, to make uh, 10 million tons capacity steel processing uh, factory in Mongolia. Uh, we don't know the feasibility study of that. And it was more political will at the beginning, but it should have also economic mm -hmm. uh, rationale. And we don't know really how much that economic rationale is existing when Mongolia is making a new steel. And who is going to buy? Do we meet the Chinese standards of the steel when we are the first time producing this steel? So many questions are now staying unclear. But however, they have signed, I think, another memorandum of understanding. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and uh, that's what is uh, how I see the visit. You mentioned about number of projects that are uh, planning to implement. What are the most uh, promising projects that you think that would give would be uh, beneficial for Mongolia? Well, many projects, if those are done, uh, could be uh, promising for Mongolia. But, however, <clears throat> there is a, there is no agreement to sign in terms of built and the road initiative. There were many talks among three countries about the corridor transit Mongolia, Trans-Mongolian corridors of power station, power, electric power, gas and petroleum and also fiber optics. None is done so far. All the conversations go on very long. So um, I'm staying not that much uh, optimistic about all these uh, documents. In particular, we see now more increasing state role in Mongolia in the economy. My witness, Mongolia looks like uh, creating new other state companies. So it is very early to say about the, truly the implementation of those projects. And uh, there are plans for a 3,000-kilometer pipeline from Russia to China is at the center of attention during this meeting. So what are your thoughts on this mega-project? Uh, the, the, is, is it a pipeline, you said? Yeah, the 3,000-kilometer pipeline project. Of what? Of, uh, from Russia to China. Gas or? Gas. Well, this gas and oil, the long-talked project, mm -hmm. I don't think it is these three countries are ready. Three governments are working very slow. But I think Mongolia is to take now more faster initiative to, do, to move faster. And to say that through Mongolia is the best economic effective way. Because all other projects uh, are not, in China, for many projects are not viable. Uh, in particular, this belt and uh, road initiative billions of dollars were invested and now the over capacity of infrastructure development in China they, they want to use it for the international projects but none of the many of those initiatives are not integrated into the initiatives of other countries as a result they are going being implemented implemented so slowly but through Mongolia it can do done faster if they will do this it's a great other thing is, they have been discussing about the super power, super grid of ele electric uh, transmission through, uh, from Mongolia to, through China. Mm -hmm. 
which is a good conversation itself. The idea was to create renewable energy factories in Mongolia, to get into integrated all these lines and to export through China to Korea and Japan. And it's a time to, it's a, it's a, in, in fact, we had a long time ago to start, but now only the conversation goes at the level of the two presidents. China is going to, will be supporting that project, which is good. And then, but however, now we have to agree a lot of technical things. How much will be the price at our border here? And then the border there on the, on the south side, etc. So this sort of mega projects conversations are good, but it doesn't mean that it is to, it will start tomorrow. Right. So well, you mentioned about a mega project of energy. So is there any opportunity for Mongolia to actually become an energy exporter, maybe with the help of China? Uh, well, this uh, renewable energy uh, potential of Mongolia is estimated uh, with very, uh, they, uh, they show great optimism because wind and power, wind and solar combined together in Mongolia can be a, a source of a great amount of energy, electric energy. So that's why they are discussing of possible super Asia super grid uh, from Mongolia and through China and to Korea and Japan. Now, if it is done, but uh, we need a lot of things to do in Mongolia because we need first to create all these uh, power stations and it will take time. Mm -hmm. And now good news is the wind and power, wind and solar energy technology has developed so much that the efficiency ha increases so much then it gives a hope that with a relatively smaller investment we can create a larger capacity of renewable energy. Then uh, Mongolia, our need is compared with what we think about those renewable energy capacity is uh, very small. So all they are to go to for export and only through China. So hope there, there, this project will go on. Oh, let us get into our second topic. At the end of 2018, discussions began about amending the communication law of Mongolia. Starting last week, a new debate has emerged about requiring state registration numbers to verify the identity of users logging into social media accounts. Members of parliament are concerned about issues related to fake accounts, fake news and defamatory social media posts. Some MPs have proposed taking regulatory measures to address these issues. In the meantime, another group of MPs are part of a working group that proposes establishing a national center to fight cybercrime. So let's get into the questions. Are political lawmakers being too sensitive about fake accounts and fake information on social media? What do you think about proposal to require people to register their state identification numbers in order to sign into social media accounts? Well, I don't think it is a very smart thing because then everybody would lose their uh, another personal number of registration, not only a phone, but the registration. Uh, yeah, we have uh, by the end of 2017, 3.8 million mobile users, telephone users, and 2.6 data users, and 2.4 smartphones, and 2.9 million internet users which uh, it itself is a great number. Mm -hmm. That means this country is quite much digitalized in a way. Connected to the world. Connected, yeah. The highest connectivity. Uh, 
uh, <clears throat> and uh, internet capacity is 120 gigabytes per second. Uh, so altogether it shows it's a part of our life and social media is too. It's true that uh, some use that uh, social media freedom for defamation, for distributing fake news. So the best thing is not to to enforce people to register with the registration number uh, because uh, the telephone number would be enough. Telephone number in Mongolia, uh, there are some, there were 650,000 uh, not registered telephones by the end of 2016. Today only 42,000 telephones that has no registrations. Mm -hmm. But for uh, very shortly now, every uh, telephone number will be registered in the country. That means it will be a possibility for everybody to register with the, the telephone number. But those who register like in Facebook with their email, uh, <clears throat> those are concerned. Of course, the government is talking to uh, Facebook, and but Facebook says that you have in your legal system not that requirement to register with the telephone. Mm -hmm. For some countries, for sake of child protection, child cyber protection, they require telephone to be registered for social media, like Korea and Japan. China has own social media, so they, it is inside system. Uh, some politicians also suggest to have, for example, Mongol.com, for example, so that everybody who has account in Mongol.com say, National set, national uh, yes, national net, and they can then they can register with Facebook. But you know, whatever we do, there will be new technology changing that situation. Is right. okay. So the best thing is to control that this kind of things by the people themselves. Right. So maybe the best thing is for ordinary user of social media to. Uh, report or blog fake accounts, which you can see there's no names, no, yeah. I mean, nothing, no but pictures. just used for defaming or uh, distributing fake news. So maybe even there can be some initiative that they can, we, we can create new page on Facebook that is ranking the sort of uh, fake news. Dedicated for... Yeah, to... to, to, to analyzing this, right. this kind of fake uh, news distributors mm -hmm. or defaming people so that uh, only with the participation of people themselves we can control that. I see. So does any other country have similar uh, experience in the, the, the government trying to force their citizens to uh, register the state official number? There are many attempts by many countries, in particular by politicians, but unfortunately the sort of efforts always come with uh, limiting the freedom of people, freedom mm -hmm. of speech. In Russia, for example, if you view, uh, saying a wrong information, you have very high uh, or defaming somebody, it has about almost several hundred thousand dollars equivalent, right. equivalent penalty. And also they are stopping to, to have uh, f accounts, mm -hmm. fake accounts in particular. They, they, they check it. A very interesting um, attempt by many countries. But the best uh, attempt is, the best thing is 
to uh, register wherever they want. People mm -hmm. want to, in, uh, in the virtual world, you go wherever you want. Mm -hmm. So you go and uh, register, but uh, <clears throat> in the virtual world, when you distribute fake news, then it is to be not supported by ordinary people. Mm. The other people just to say this is a report back or block. This is the only way to uh, stop this kind of fake news. Otherwise, it's technically not possible. And on the way, they are limiting our uh, freedom of speech. Right. So what can we do to keep uh, you know, fake news from spreading on social media? Some people are, uh, some prime minister, uh, some government officials are talking about uh, opening cyber, uh, opening a dedicated force for, I mean, uh, to make, me. a, to make a uh, secure all this uh, online yes, information. Yes, a dedicated group to uh, keep the secure, uh, you know, report these fake news and control other defamation the, the, claims. The fake news and all this sort of information is, of course, a threat on one side. On the other side, if you go into details, then you have a more chance to lose private data to a people who wants to make a wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So we, we talk about mostly about the protection of our data. In particular, we have a data center of Mongolia. Mm -hmm. It's a specially designated place and where every, all our information comes day every second. Now this data center knows what we buy, where we go, what kind of our consuming behavior, Right? right, where we go, where we eat. But now the issue is uh, what uh, is done to protect our private data. And that's the law they want to do now with this, all the support suggestions they come with about the registration. Mm -hmm. You know, the best thing I've found so far, I saw it in Estonia. In Estonia, the government has all your information through different ministries, registration process, wherever you go, you, you give the data. But in Estonia, it turned out uh, the person, I, I, I've, I, as an individual, I know who is using, who is referring, who is coming to my data. I see. Now, what they do is, so at the end of the year, I mean, uh, anytime you go to the website and you know, who is receiving or collecting or requiring your data, private mm -hmm. data? It could be, for example, I don't know, credit card company, bank, and then, I don't know, police, whatever. But only thing, if, if, if I need, I can send email mm -hmm. and ask particular institutions why you are requiring my data. And they, by law, they should reply to me back. So that excludes private misuse of your personal data by somebody. Because then that, that person who is uh, somebody has some access to the public data information center. Mm -hmm. So that, 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 in that way they can identify who is using your private data. I think this is the best data protection I have ever seen. And uh, again, it's more participation of people. So it's uh, both ways. So it works much better. Yes. I see. And uh, would, if this law is to pass, would uh, Facebook really accept this? Would it be possible for them to actually change, uh, for force people to register their numbers? Say, so, so far, if our law says that for social media, you require this and that, 
but it does not it is not necessarily cover or Facebook activity because it's not our jurisdiction. Facebook is American and international jurisdiction and we cannot force them to implement our laws. Mm -hmm. But in cooperation with them, we can of course try to prevent the sort of uh, fake news. And, uh, but uh, however, we, we cannot control this book. Yeah. So let us get into our next topic. Mm. Moving on to our next topic, on April 25th, National Disaster Preparedness Training was conducted in every district in Ulaanbaatar. During the training, residents gathered at their nearest designated safe zones. During the three-day exercise, the sale of alcohol was banned, and traffic on all roads and bridges was stopped between 7 and 9.30 a.m. So, the Ulaanbaatar produces 70% of nation's GDP, but this city uh, is our city's ready to withstand an earthquake or any other national disasters, uh, natural disasters, excuse me. Well, this event was an important thing, at least the people know, because at least there, is a, there, were, there were 111 squares where people get together, got together. Mm -hmm. Not everybody came, of course, but once you are there, they, they, you are registered, you, are, you show, show certain paper to these people, they put stamp, and they advise you how and what to do in case of emergency, in particular in this case about the earthquake. Mm -hmm. But the whole event gave us some good food for thoughts. First of all, how much safe are our buildings, right? So there was a JICA-sponsored study mm -hmm. in 2013 which says that in Ulaanbaatar, if earthquake is happening of the strength of a strong as 6.5 to 7.6 uh, the score, then from 20 to 50 percent of buildings will collapse. Right. From 30 to 60,000 people may die, and 200 to 300,000 people will be injured. If the earthquake will be of, this, uh, of uh, the 3.4 scores, then um, 29 schools' buildings will be collapsed, 46 right. kindergarten buildings, and 30 uh, hospitals. So this figure gives us to think twice. How safe are our buildings, the house we live in, the office we work in every day? And then it gives me also another thought. Who is giving us guarantee that the construction process is safe, buildings are safe? Uh, nobody, because in Mongolia, they're in, in terms of real estate, like in other countries, there is a real estate developer, then builder, contractor, then sales, and then at the end, they are maintenance right. uh, team or company. In Mongolia, all this work is done just by one construction company, company. mostly owned by one person. Right. And who's giving a guarantee of each, say, each column of the, each wall of that building is done according to safety standards. Mm -hmm. In uh, many jurisdictions, they involve insurance companies who are sending professional to the site Right. And they approve every floor, every building, every 
every floor and every column that it is according to the standard. That percent of the cement, beton, or metal is done there. And uh, I don't see that in Mongolia. So first of all, for proper disaster preparedness, we need to check all our buildings and to make sure that all new buildings are now uh, being done to that standard. Right. And unfortunately, it is not the case in Ulaanbaatar, you, where you see Bayung Mongol, for example, district, many similar districts. They have so much close built the buildings. And there is even, even <laughs> the car cannot pass. Right. Even probably in certain cases, pedestrian, a person cannot pass. Really small. So, I mean, how can hold the city give permission to such a buildings? Mm-hmm. Because the officials who were given that permission are corrupt. They got own price and they made such a things, so many buildings together, two side by side. No human, uh, the social infrastructure, no schools, no kindergarten. All, right. Only in the best case, some shops on the first floor of the building. How can, how long we can survive like this in this Ulaanbaatar city? So that's the ma- major concern for me. Would it be possible to, you know, make it uh, requiring the new buildings to be, you know, they would be able to withstand the earthquake? Would it be there possible is certain to standard. You right. know, you you cannot make a building that kind of stands against any kind of uh, earthquake. Right. But there is certain international standard. That is required for buildings, but we don't see the certification of those standards in Mongolia in these buildings. Who is the authority to certify that this building can stand that in this uh, level of uh, earthquake? So we need to work on that. So I see. Um, do you think this training worked to raise public awareness, disaster preparedness, and uh, disaster resilience? Did it really work? Because uh, most of the people who went there went there, you know. From what we see, it went there just to get that paper and to register it onto work. So yeah, because it is training, and people have not much seriously paid attention. But those who paid seriously attention, they they at least learned what to do. The other thing now among the public, the better awareness of what happens if earthquake comes, mm-hmm. then what kind of things you have to prepare. At least you have some small suitcase with uh, I don't know with uh, flash and uh, everything, right? With right. Uh, or at least, uh, well, some things that you need for a couple of days, maybe a food, drink, uh, something uh, for emergency kit, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, <clears throat> the other thing uh, for awareness was, I have called the tele- Telecommunication Regulatory Commission that if there is any channel that people will know about any emergency cases at the same time very quickly, turned out most TVs, at least three TV, the public TV and this TV, UBS and Mongol HD, and some operators, not all of them, Mobicom, Unitel, mm-hmm. this operator and the several FMs, including 1025, 963, etc. Several, five or so out of 15 FMs, only two, three, four, the most they have an agreement with this uh, telecom company, telecom, telecom regulatory office, that anytime they can stop whatever they are on that, those channels, yeah. they can stop and give information, simultaneous information in all around the country, right. which is good news. This kind of, and also, um, in particular, FM are very important. If you are driving, then your FM, 
with you should go your radio switched on right or playing something even not playing just to put a low just, value uh -huh. but then suddenly it will give you this signal or the information what what to do like like the case in many other countries in Germany for example they give also in Japan road information right. yeah and they, they suddenly when you drive then suddenly the radio says to you mm. that this road and that road is so far is this kind of delay this what's right. happened so right. you can you can go around right okay unfortunately that is all the time we have for today uh well okay um you can uh, watch our program on our also website jargaldefacto.com and we show also newspaper including these reviews which goes in uh, japanese in uh, Russian, in Mongolian, and in English. You can subscribe this newspaper, Jargal De Facto Gazette, the De Facto Gazette, on our also website in the language you would like to have in four languages. Thank you very much. We will see you next week with more reviews and updates. Have a nice evening. Goodbye. Good evening.